Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Fight fans worldwide, you've tuned into the number one undisputed boxing podcast today. This is the Boxing Breakdown. What's up, what's up, what's up? What's going on out there, boxing fans and friends? This is your host, Mark Roxy, and I am with my uh, partners in crime. Let's see who we got here today. It is Mr. Harold Hunt. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on, man? How you uh, doing? All right, brother. I got to just make one quick adjustment. I want to introduce you guys to Paul Haberman, Esquire. Welcome to the show tonight. It's great to see you guys. Good to be back. Esquire. Yeah, <laughs> Hold on one second. I just yes, got one adjustment over here. You guys chat it up. Talk it up. Okay. Okay. Hey, man. Good to see you back in the house, Paul. Uh, good we, to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. We did something, what, a little while back? It was pretty good there. Uh, you were laying it out pretty pretty easily for us to understand. Uh, I do what I can. <laughs> your, your lingo was, you you, you kind of dumbed it down for us so we could <laughs> could follow. And we appreciate that because we understood we quite go, a bit about there that. We go, there we go. Yeah, us law talking moment. people have our own language, so uh, <laughs> yeah, helps to a, translate. <laughs> that was a at little times. <laughs> a little moment of confusion there. I was hearing myself back. <clears throat> so anyway, welcome to another edition of the Boxing Breakdown. And again, I'm your host, Mark Roxy, and we are here, 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 and we are delighted to be with you. We are going to be chopping up the latest and greatest news. I don't know if you guys have heard. Harold, you want to break the news to them? Oh, <laughs> we have Terrence Crawford. Uh, who has dropped a lawsuit on Bob Arum, uh, citing many racial and breaches of contract. Now, my uh, trotting out of the this information uh, is is pretty basic, and that's why we have Paul Esquire in the house. So, yes. the basic premise, just as I understand it, is he felt like he was uh, uh, disparaged. Uh, with his contracts and uh, the way he was treated racially. So, uh, Mark, if you like, let's pass it to the man who's here to handle it. Yeah, man. Well, what I want to say for those of you that are listening in and you're not a hundred percent sure, um, I just want to let you guys know, I just want to read a little bit about Terrence, uh, Alan Crawford born on September 28th, 1987. He's an American professional boxer. He has held multiple world championships in three weight classes, including the WBO, welterweight titles since 2018. Previously, he held the WBO and Ring Magazine lightweight title from 2014 to 2015, and the unified WBA, Super, WBC, IBF, 
WBO and ring lightweight titles between 2015 and 2017. Uh, First of all, uh, arguably he is one of the best fighters in the world currently. Uh, I think you guys would agree with that, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and he's been, he's been, um, uh, going through a lot with, uh, his promoter and uh, it's finally come to a climax now where um, there has been a complaint that was filed in the eighth judicial district court uh, in Clark County, Nevada, and basically Terrence Crawford, an individual plaintiff uh, against top rank incorporated a Nevada corporation. Um, And uh, the defendants, I'm sure, um, Paul, you'll get into all the details, but uh, there are pretty much like six uh, complaints, I guess, six separate complaints. The first complaint being breach of contract. There's a second complaint, I assume, of breach of contract. Third complaint is fraudulent misrepresentation. The fourth complaint is negligent misrepresentation and the fifth is breach of the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealings the sixth one is uh tortoise breach of the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealings now i i am uh somewhat familiar with these things um but we thought how great would it be for this to be a boxing lesson for yeah. those of you that are tuning in, all of you professional fighters out there, all of you managers and all of you promoters that like to go behind other, each other's back and say, say different things that you really shouldn't be saying, right? Breaching conf, con, uh, contracts is not a good idea. It's just not no. a good idea. Yeah, fraudulent misrepresentation. Uh, these are these are serious. Uh, you know, I think the one that would frighten me the most um, is uh, the, the the fraud. The fraud the fraud count is um, that's pretty heavy for me. But but listen, ha- um, Paul, can you just yeah. weigh in on this stuff? Help us make a little sense of it overall. Just give an, uh, give us an overall view of what is it that's going on. Yes, yes. The interesting thing is that the the lawsuit generated headlines because of the the recapping of uh, what's seen as uh, what's described as a large history of, uh, we'll say, racially suspect uh, actions and activities and comments by Bob Arum uh, throughout the the course of his, his promotional career and you know, I, I had read an article about this this morning before I saw the complete complaint. And I, I actually wasn't even sure where it was going um, until I read the complaint. When you read the complaint, you, know, you could see that maybe the the racial history will factor in and try to establish some of the causes of action. But fundamentally, this is about three different things. First, uh, Crawford is claiming that in in, uh, in an agreement that he entered into with Top Rank. Uh, in 2018, uh, he was promised uh, more fights or two fight or two bouts between October of 2019 
in October 2020 and that he didn't get two fights during that time. That's essentially what the first cause of action is, is a breach of contract because he didn't get uh, the two promised fights in between October of 19 and October of 20. Then the second cause of action talks about a breach of contract with regard to the 2019, uh, I don't even, uh, I'm not even sure how to begin to pronounce that name, but uh, the Cavalas. Uh, Cavalaskis. Thank you. Anytime I start stuttering over that for the next hour, you can just chime in. <laughs> in any event, there's apparently a large backstory to getting him to do that fight on ESPN, uh, where they're purportedly, they being top rank and you know, top ranks uh, people, reportedly dangling, okay, just take this one that you may not like for ESPN's purposes, and we'll get you a Terrence Crawford, not a Terrence Crawford, he's Terrence Crawford, an Errol Spence uh, Jr. fight um, by the end of 2020. And uh, he, by, by the account laid out in the complaint, he relied on that representation to take the fight assuming that if he gets past uh, the man whose name I cannot pronounce this evening, that he would then have an opportunity to face uh, Errol Spence Jr. uh, with top ranks assistance by the end of December uh, of 2020. And uh, he he purports in the complaint that he actively relied on that representation, that he truly believed that top rank, what what top rank was saying as far as getting that done. And uh, that, you know, and that there was even a provision in the contract, which isn't an, isn't annexed to the complaint. So we don't know what the reality is of that yet, where if they didn't get that fight, he would uh, get a, a fee of nine hundred thousand dollars as a penalty almost for not for them not making that fight. And he supposedly didn't get that either. And that's uh, and that, and that uh, runs through a few of the claims. And then as far as the last two claims, the probably co- uh, the breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing. What he's talking about there mainly is, you know, that he was generally being disparaged and put down as a fighter uh, because of some perceived concern that Top Rank knew that he was going to fly the nest and go with another promoter or or field other agreements. So what they're essentially saying there is that Aram went out of his way to cheapen his market value uh, by making comments about his pay-per-view marketability and everything else. during the final stretch of the, the agreement doesn't say he made racial comments. Doesn't, doesn't say it was racist. Matter of fact, it seems to almost pivot a little bit to these comments about him not being bankable or marketable or exciting as a fighter and things of that nature, uh, which, you know, are more individual to him. Uh, but just, to, just the same, you do have to look at the contract as a whole. And they're obviously putting that history in question uh, against the backdrop of the causes of action. However, they might sneak in, you know, to each of them in, uh, individually and how, you know, the race factor, if it's something that they actually intent on uh, establishing at some point, played into all the actions taken that, uh, that I've just gone through. But again, this is fundamentally about a failure to get the requisite number of fights between 19 and 20, a failure to secure the Spence fight after it was represented uh, that he would get that one after the Kowalowskis fight. And then it's just this, this general disparagement of him on various fronts as a result of, you know, some perceived concern that he that uh, he'd come jump out to another promoter uh, when the agreement was winding down, and that, you know, and that correlates, you know, with comments about his marketability and excitement. And uh, one thing I should just say, as a boxing fan, getting away from the lawyer role, is that I actually I always found those comments intriguing about his excitement level. I know he didn't sell per se, if you look at the pay per view numbers, that well. 
But if you look at his excitement level, he was a fighter I, I was always excited to watch because he always he, he's one of the best finishers in the sport. His HBO debut, he seemed to get better every time I watched him for a long time. Because when I first heard about him, I, you know, I, I said to another client of mine who was very familiar with the amateur fighters, I was like, what do you know about this guy? He said he was basically a run-of-the-mill amateur. And then he's, every time you see him on HBO, guy gets better and better and better. And that's pretty much what's happened, you know, uh, throughout his career. He just, he just really punctuates all of his wins, all of his fights. And it's, it's a joy to watch generally. But that, that's just me speaking as a fan now. I think his record as an amateur was like 70 and 12. I think that's what his amateur record was. So, I mean, that's not shabby, but, but certainly, right. you know, it's not, you know, if you looked at, uh, you know, uh, Lomachenko's record and you right. compared it, you know, it, it's, it's not yeah. To, if you, if you put 498 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so let's talk about this breach of contract thing because the, the fighters out there, the people that are listening, and by the way, if you're tuning in on YouTube, <clears throat> Please feel free to uh, put your comments in and, and join in on the conversation. We're, we're delighted to answer your questions while we have Paul Haberman here. And um, uh, we just uh, really want to include you in the conversation. So thank you for joining us on YouTube. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks for being with us there. Yes. Uh, we appreciate that. And please share and uh, share the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe like and hit the notifications right down there on the bottom down there. Um, we would appreciate that for sure. Um, but so let's talk about this breach of contract, man, because a lot of, a lot of fighters are dealing with this and we'll continue to deal with this. So. Well, the first breach, there's two breach of contract claims really. Um, the first one again is a fairly straightforward one that I've seen a lot just in my boxing clients. And that's, uh, promoter or manager guarantees certain number of fights in a certain period and then doesn't deliver them. So the question usually with those is, okay, um, even if two fights didn't occur where they're bona fide written offers uh, or uh, of two fights, by that I mean, were, were you offered two fights that even if they didn't occur, uh, that, that the promoter or manager could turn around and say, you know, I made this offer, you didn't accept it, or the fight didn't happen, but it wasn't because I breached, that doesn't follow that I breached the agreement. I put you in a position to take the requisite number of fights, and it just didn't happen. Uh, whether that's the fighter's fault, the management's fault, the promoter's fault, that's that's usually where where such a discussion will turn. I, for example, had an arbitration uh, over a, with a promoter a couple of years ago where um uh, the fighter was an upstart at the time was guaranteed something like four to six fights per year. And the promoter was able to document that, uh, you know, there was as many as 20 or 30, not 20, no, not 30, rather as many as many 20 fighters per year in dispute that were raised with the boxers management as potential opponents. But then it became the question, well, did you ever actually speak with the fighter? Did you ever actually speak with their management about whether they'd fight the, our guy? You know, was this more, did you do anything other than look down the list at Bowman Box Rec and see who else is potentially able to be, to, to, to be fought in that, in that range? Well, or did you actually get to the stage of, you know, bona fide contract discussions with them? So Paul, it seems to me to be kind of a ridiculous, um, <clears throat> like breach of contract to me, um, is like the lowest hanging fruit. If you're a boxing attorney or you're, I mean, breach of contract, uh, in relationship to the clauses that are put in contracts about minimum fights, 
Um, you know, I've seen so many things happen and I know that we've had these conversations before because offline and online, how it's so easy for a promoter or a manager to offer a fighter, a fight that's just completely way out of line and knowing that the fighter is going to turn down the fight. And then they have it in the, in the contract that all they have to do is ask the fighter if they wanted the fight. Exactly. Right. I mean, and if I'm, if I'm negotiating, negotiating that for, for the fighter, I would say there's a couple of ways you could get around that. One, I don't, I don't, I get, I could turn down any fight I want within a certain period of time. Uh, you know, say you get a, you get an opportunity within three weeks and you know, you need four weeks to prepare. That won't count against the number for the year. If you turn it down with, with less than four weeks notice or three weeks notice, you know, there, there could be a, you know, a discussion of reasonability with each one, a reason, you know, as long as you can articulate a reason, you right. can say this doesn't count as an offer unless it's in writing. And we know that there's been contact with the other side. So, you know, so it's not just two phone calls and they're done with their responsibility for the year. <laughs> right. <So>. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Good. Right. And this is, this is where our good friend, uh, Adrian Clark, shout out to Adrian Clark, uh, the author of protect yourself at all times. Who's who should That's be on nice this podcast. Work. He does great work. We love what he does yeah. and we wish he was on the podcast, but we've had, he and I have had conversations about this as well. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's so easy to, to offer fighters fight, fights that they don't want to take. So fighters beware when it's in your contract that you're, you're going to get four fights. You have to really have, have an attorney take a look at that, right? Really closely to make sure that that clause actually can stand up, um, in a court of law, because there's a lot of ways that clause can be written where it doesn't. Am I right? Yeah, or at least it would be too vague to say what actually constitutes an offer. Correct. And that, yeah. Right. You know, again, yeah. if I'm just, I could just go down box rec in any given division and say, Hey, you want to fight him? You want to fight him? You know, uh, I can yeah. see about getting him, but seeing about getting somebody and actually taking material steps to say, you're going to fight somebody on this guy on this card, he's on board in principle, whatever else to get closer to a real offer than just, you know, uh, just yeah. going through a list of who you might be able to fight is what I, you'd ideally see with these sorts of uh, offers uh, big counting as against the year. I mean, so, here you I don't know what happened here, but one, one historical backdrop to think about with this whole Crawford lawsuit, uh, not just for the fights and, 19 to 20, but with Crawford, but with Spence, uh, is, uh, yeah, obviously there's this COVID factor. So, um, there was a certain period of time where fights couldn't be staged. Uh, and obviously top rank with the TSPN money was one of the earlier ones to get out of that. So it's not as easy a discussion on that point as it would be with other promoters who couldn't do anything for, you know, a better part of a year. So. Right. Yeah. Well, case in case in point, Shakir Stevenson during the uh, pandemic, uh, our own, was able to get him $600,000. No one was there during the pandemic. Right. So he right. fought and he made money and he was a, a, a fighter that was, that was, uh, that was working under Bob Arm. So just so many different uh, sides to this thus far. Right. Please well, continue. <laughs> well, no, I was going to, I was going to ask. So in terms of the second, uh, the second count, of breach of contract. I wonder if it, yeah. Paul, you could just break that down for us. Definitely. Um, um, 
So again, this was uh, with the Kavalowskis fight. Now I think I'm finally pronouncing it. I'm in rhythm. I, yeah. Thank you for your assistance earlier. I think Agus <laughs> Kavalowskis, I think it's pronounced. But, you got uh, it now. <laughs> have his management call me if I'm butchering it because I, I don't like butchering names, but uh, I think that's what it is. Uh, apparently, you know, if you read between the lines, or if he says this explicitly, that's not a fight that particularly excited Crawford. The guy was a well-regarded, you know, well-regarded, but not exactly somebody that's going to draw eyes to Terrence Crawford's fights. Somebody that would, however, is uh, Errol Spence Jr. And uh, by the accusations, and I think at least four of the uh, three, three or four of the causes of action here in the complaint, um, they're saying Spence was dangled in front of him uh, if he took Kavalowskis, he take for ESPN's benefit. He agrees to take the Kavalaskis fight. He gets past Kavalaskis. And uh, it, once he did that, he was either supposed to get Spence net by the end of uh, 2020, or he's supposed to get $900,000 um, in lieu of the fight if uh, the, the Spence fight didn't happen. He claims in the complaint, neither happened. And he claims at the same time that they duped him and probably had, and perhaps even had reason to know that would never happen uh, just to get him to take the Kavalaskis fight. Right. And that, that is that is at the nucleus of, I believe, three claims in the complaint. Yes. Well, I mean, we haven't really touched on the very, very um, prolific uh, writing and repeated uh, discussion of racism uh, between, you know, the fighter and uh, the top rank organization. I, I, um, I noticed how you guys really haven't really touched too much on that, but I really wanted to bring it up. Like this complaint is pretty heavy in terms of the language. Um, I mean, I read the complaint two times through and it's um, the, the, the plaintiff is saying some pretty horrific things about the top rank organization. I wonder if you can do that. And the challenge for me after reading the opening salvo with all that detail yeah. is which causes of action does he are they actually endeavoring to link to that and I think when when you break that down it's the last two because they're saying he said these things about him you know and apparently they're, they're relating that back to other things he said about uh, you know other African American fighters he's handled over the years but uh, I almost you know yeah I, I, I write complaints differently I won't question stylistics but wow. you know here but uh if, if I'm not going to lay that out through the causes of action, I wouldn't have necessarily laid it out in the beginning, but just the same. The question is, where does it bleed in? And I think it bleeds in more when they're saying that he was just being disparaged in the last year or two of his contract by Barham uh, in those, in those last two claims in the case, rather than the first ones we just went through. Right. Um, and it's an interesting challenge to them to try to prove that because, you know, there's such a grab bag of fighters he's handled over the years where, yeah. Even if you could isolate comments and, and, and behavior, and they just certainly did a pretty good job doing that, um, you know, can you summarily make the claim? And if you even if you can summarily make the claim, to which cause of action does that help you? So, um, yeah, certainly, uh, I don't want to call it a hit job. It sounds well earned, but again, I don't see how it factored into most of the causes of action in the complaint. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I was true. trying to figure out how they were going to link it all together. Cause when they, once they go and they start doing depositions, how does that work? Well, I think uh, if, you, if you're doing depositions, 
you know, obviously Crawford would have his say as far as perceptions that he had um, during the course of his relationship. So that would set the foundation for how he felt like he was treated by Aram uh, along race lines. And uh, Aram's, you know, top rank, whether it's Aram's or DeBuff or whoever else's deposition, you kind of, to some extent, walk through that history, you know, and, and, and try to connect that to actions that took place as to Crawford. Almost, right. you know, which again, doesn't feel like the easiest challenge versus just kind of saying whatever Aram's history is of race relations. He did say this trash that everybody heard on ESPN saying he, he lost money on him. You know, he's boring. That right. doesn't have to rely on any history. That could just rely on the fact that he said that in the last two years. I, I've heard that, and I'm barely, you know, I don't pay attention that closely. Right. You know, between fights, sometimes. So when I'm watching. Well, what about this? What about this? Uh, in the in the uh, complaint, um, mm-hmm. paragraph fifty-five, I believe it was fifty-five, there where he talks about <clears throat> top rank has essentially attempted to scare off opportunities for Crawford to fight in televised bouts, uh, thus interfering with Crawford's right to receive, uh, receive the benefits of his right. contract with top rank and for his future boxing career. Sounds like there's damages built into that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost an assertion that they went in the tank to damage him, even though in theory, after Pacquiao, he could have been their marquee fighter. Right. So there's, I'm not sure what the angle would be, why they do that. I'm not saying they didn't, but I'm just why? not sure how that helps them if they did. Well, why what seems would you to be more it? Would you do that? I mean, would you, would you put a, uh, why would you do that? I couldn't say why. I mean, the only thing I could explain, you know, from the real time of what seemed to be going on was more that Aram's or top ranks relationship with the handlers of other major fighters in that weight range was like right. non-existent. Um. You know, so I, I'm not sure what the angle is if they're intentionally going in the tank. But you know, I think it's documented, uh, at least discussed over the years that yeah, you know, his relationship with Heyman hasn't always been great. His relationship with Golden Boy hasn't always been great. Right. And here they are handling, you know, maybe Hearn. There's, and here they are handling a number of people well, that could be wow. mega fights for him. I mean, is this a byproduct of just doing business in a hurt in a hurt business? I mean, is it just a byproduct? Is, is Bob Arum just in a in a very very tough business or is this, is this more than that it's uh, it feels like there's some undercurrent there and i can't put my finger on it um i don't know why they go in the tank with their mark for their mark against their marquee fighter that's why i can't figure out right um, okay so what about number 55 where he talks about top ranks fraudulent misrepresentation negligence uh bad faith and tortoise actions uh, <clears throat> also created legal fees and costs for crawford uh, they've been yeah. piling up uh, in order for him to pursue this action. Well, that's more of just uh, that's more of them saying if we proceed, if we succeed, uh, he's going to owe our legal fees under this prevailing law. And I should just qualify that by saying I don't practice law in Nevada. I'm not licensed to, but uh, that's how it reads on the face of it. Right. Um, it, it appears there's a provision they're trying to invoke there under Nevada, either case law or statutory law that says in certain cir- appropriate circumstances, there could be attorney's fees assessed for compelling this action. Right. Right. OK. So when you get back to the top of the complaint, uh, they're yeah. talking about breach of implied covenant 
of good faith and fair dealing. I wonder if you could talk a little bit to the listeners and to the boxers out there and the managers out there that have no idea what that clause actually means. Can you break that down for us in, and, and in the context of, of the Crawford situation? Yeah, certainly. Um, Generally speaking, the breach of good faith and fair dealing is a breach of it never there's never a paragraph in, in an agreement that says or usually not that says good faith and fair dealing parties un, you know understand and acknowledge that to deal fairly and in good faith with each other. You know that if you're getting into the contract. That's why most states, including Nevada, apparently, have this breach of good faith and fair dealing where essentially if if the promoter, manager, boxer, whoever is taking actions that are contrary to the super objective and and goals of the agreement, that's where you'd have a claim like that read into it as being breached. And, and in this instance, what he's, they're saying here is because Aaron was disparaging him in one way or another, um, he he compromised you know Crawford's um, overall marketability and ability to get fights, and thus that went against the spirit of an agreement by or materially breached due to the agreement by breaching the, the uh, implied uh, covenant of good faith and fair dealing, if that makes sense. You're going against uh, the spirit of the contract, basically. You're just taking actions that go against the spirit, even if you're not specifically breaching any one provision that's in writing in it. So in, in layman's terms, how, how has he done that? Well, when he, yeah, I believe the assertions in that particular section is when they're saying that Crawford doesn't sell, Crawford's boring. Uh, and th- things like that. And then again, I, you know, the interesting part about that, and I think I saw this in at least one article covering this today, is that uh, one or two of Crawford's uh, ESPN two or ESPN Plus fights have been uh, have, have had pretty solid rate ratings, even if right, his pay per views right. didn't do that well. And again, and as I said before, I certainly don't agree with the boring. I mean, there's a certain fighter cry if I know they're fighting, but I feel like I should watch anyway. And he's never been one of them. So. I'm not going to ask you to name which fighters and how no, don't you name you. which fighters either. I will. So, no. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, well, this is, this is really uh, disconcerting for both parties, so, but I, right. I'm wondering, Harold, what, what's your take on this all? Well, on the flip side, you've got other fighters coming out in defense of uh, Bob. Uh, you've got uh, Foreman, who's come out uh, very strongly about uh, his dealings with Bob in the past. Uh, you've got Jared Anderson, uh, who's a young heavyweight now who people may know, and he's been treated uh, quite nicely by Bob. Uh, and uh, their lure for for top rank is he offers a large amount of upfront money. That's how he gets you hooked. Okay. PBC, other ones may not give you that huge bonus upfront. He does that. He has does that's the operation of his company. So once you get that, that large upfront money, uh, it takes you from the street to take you from your situation financially and you're in pocket with him. Then that's when things, uh, when the contract actually comes in, in, in the play and uh, you have to adhere to that contract. And then that's where the, you know, the disconnect can uh, uh, eventually come, but that is how he works. Now um, we all know that so many people have left him in the past and been successful uh, after they've, they've left the contract, what have you, but we know he's also been very, uh, 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 he's been around since the forties, 1940. 
So he's worked with so many uh, uh, African-American fighters, black fighters, or whatever political term you want to use uh, today. And he's been successful. So the part about, as as uh, Mr. Paul Esquire uh, pointed out, it's going to be hard in my mind to put together the, the, the ratio back and forth. But the contracts, the contracts are black and white. The contracts say, hey, you owe me 900 grand because of this situation. It didn't happen. In 2018, you're supposed to give me my fight with Spence, and it didn't happen. If you average all my fights out, as you read the the, the uh, complaints I did, the average is $4.5 million. He, he should have gotten for that four fight, for that fight he didn't get with Spence. Okay? So, and... The basis of that contract was they both were healthy. No one was hurt. That fight should have been made. So just my basic map, I see 4.5. He was for the 2018 contract and the 900 grand. Now, I don't know about the, the, uh, for the 2019 contract. Now, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, damages and interest and all that other stuff. But that's how I see it. Now, what uh, affects me is he's only asking for $10 million. He only wants $10 million. Now, you would think a lawsuit like this, he would say, hey, I want 25 I want 40 I want 50 He only wants $10 million. So I'm trying to get my head around why such a low figure for all this, 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 well, this splash. Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of things that, that you, I just want to touch on a couple of things you said. And, and Paul, maybe you can speak to the why. Do you have an idea of why before I get into what I want to say? Uh, I don't, but I do want to make one point about the Errol Spence thing also being a very perilous claim if this is a, the right time to do it. Yeah. Errol Spence, you know, they, they entered into this agreement to fight Kevalowskis. He does it. Errol Spence Jr. gets in that serious car accident in October of 19, I think. Yeah. Doesn't but come he was back. healthy. He was healthy. He was healthy. When it but, was over, he was able to fight. Well, here's the thing. He, he, he doesn't fight again. I looked this up earlier. He doesn't fight again until December 6th of 2020, and that's against Danny Garcia. I'm honestly surprised he took somebody that difficult when, he, when they weren't sure where he'd be at after you know, recovering from the injuries. I, I'm saying to myself, I understand in concept uh, that they may have dropped the ball in, with Spence, but Spence was also out of the lineup and looking for at least a relatively softer touch, it seemed like. Not that Garcia is, but relative to Crawford, he is in his first comeback. And that essentially, get, you know, if he's coming back in December, is either he was going to take Crawford straight away from the accident. Right. Or 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 that provision is going to be breached, but that then it rolls down to the 900000 that wasn't paid. Good point. So, Good point. Good point. So, yeah, man. Look, here's here's some facts and some stats for those of you that are listening in, because I always like to bring them in, you guys. You know, I would like to make sure that the people who are listening in can really be part of what we're talking about. And so let's just give you a little bit of numbers and a little bit of fact uh, to what we're talking monetary. about. Okay, Crawford Crawford's <laughs> compensation under the 2018 agreement was based on the platform that each fight was televised on ESPN or another linear television channel, ESPN plus or right. a pay-per-view kind of setup. Right. So um, in 2018, there was an agreement between uh, top rank, which uh, 
they were supposed to pay Crawford for two fights. And you talked about this earlier. It, it was, um, uh, I guess the fights had to happen between October 13th, 2018 and October 12th, 2019. And actually that's where you get 9 million of the 10 million is the 4.5 average per fight. Right. So, so top rank offered Crawford two fights between, uh, 2018, 2019, uh, I guess he was supposed to fight uh, Jose Benavidez um, in 2018, October of 2018, and Amir Khan uh, in April of 2019. Crawford was paid $3.5 million for the Benavidez Jr. bout, plus $45,000, to your point, Harold, $45,000 in training expenses, and four point eight. Million plus fifty thousand in training expenses for for, the, for the Amir Khan bout. Who was oh. dead at the time? Literally, exactly. <laughs> All right. So then, so then, during the second year of this agreement between Top Rank and Terence Crawford, uh, there were fights that took place between October twenty nineteen and October twenty twenty. The bouts were against our, our friend Kavalaskis on uh, the 19th. Crawford was paid $4 million plus a $50,000 training expense uh, purse. Uh, top rank breached in 2018 an agreement by failing to offer Crawford a second fight in year two. Okay. Just like, let's break it down. Right. In right. year two. That's 19 to 20, right? Right. And then during the third year of 2018, the agreement between Top Rank offered Crawford two fights between October 13th, 2020 and October 12th, 2021 between Kell Brook on November 11th, 2020 and Sean Porter. Um, uh, I guess it was in September of 2021 with the bout held on November 20th, 2021. Crawford was paid three Point five million for the Kell Brook fight uh, and six million for the Porter fight. Top rank also paid Crawford fifty thousand dollars again for training expenses for each of these two bouts. Okay, this goes on, guys. This goes on. So you can see the kind of numbers we're talking about. Right. Uh, the average compensation under 2018 agreement was approximately forty uh, four point five million dollars per bout. Right. Um, Crawford, uh, you know, they, they promise him no less, right? Top rank owes Crawford no less than 4.5 million for its breach of the 2018 agreement when they failed to provide Crawford with a second fight during the second year of 2018. Now, okay. So now this, the reason I wanted the listeners to hear that is so that they can get a really good perspective on what we're talking about, what we're specifically talking about. So, Back to you, uh, Paul. I, I'd like you to just touch on that breach of contract there now. Uh, so, so the one is the lack of fights. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, to anybody looking at it in public, uh, it's inexplicable. Like, yeah, the arguably pound for pound, one of the top guys in the sport, not fighting for a palpable period of time, and that's essentially what he's saying in this in this lawsuit. How come I wasn't fighting for this palpable period of time? Right, and uh, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, what, were there offers, or were they just not doing anything? Was there a reason that, that fights didn't come together? Or did they try to make these bigger ones? Right. Um, I mean, would you fight any hump that they put in front of them just to get two more fights uh, out of that year, or was there very particular ones that were made clear that they wanted by that point in his career? 
Right. So there'll be a couple of things to air out there as far as what? What, what if anything was being looked at and what if anything was being done with who was being looked at. What a mess. Oh my <laughs> gosh. What a tangled mess. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I don't even know, you know, you'd have to go back. Okay. So let's go, let's go and touch on negligent, negligent misrepresentation. Let's touch on that, uh, Harold and uh, Paul. Paul, go. Well, negligent, uh, I mean, that's the roll down from more of a greater intent. It's almost as if uh, with, that, with that, they're they're making representations as to the probability or prospect of the Spence fight that they either knew or should have known they couldn't deliver on. And uh, here's what you have to think about with that. Um, the accident can't factor in because that happened afterwards. Right, um, exactly. So that's, that's out. But what's in is that there is this documentedly bad relationship between Al Heyman and Bob Arum. So you have to say to yourself, why would they make this representation that they could hook up the Errol Spence fight if they don't do anything else with, with right. Al Heyman? At least not, nothing too voluminous. I know there's been a couple of fights here and there they've made happen with him despite the issues. But, you know, and Crawford was saying that he recently relied on these representations. Right. The question is, you know, that may come out during this case, no matter how long it goes, is could he honestly say that he relied on this if he knows the history of bad dealing and relationship between, you know, Heyman and uh, and top rank? Can you honestly say he believed that fight would happen given that history? And then, you know, and again, you can't factor in the accident there because that was just representing they could get him the fight. What he's talking about there question is did they ever honestly believe they could get him the fight so well right or or i mean because i mean how many times has as a uh, a promoter or a matchmaker or someone in the business offered a fight to a fighter or their team uh promising them that there would be an additional fight down the road or you'll fight on tv down the road or you know we're gonna put you in you know xyz arena down the road just please just right. take this one fight we really need you to take this one fight right how many times does that happen yeah, endless i mean <laughs> and so the, actually interestingly and I, don't, I don't think this factors into the lawsuit explicitly they're also purportedly trying to get Pacquiao into the ring with him. And they had the same promoter for a period of time there. And that didn't happen. So. Right. Right. I don't know what to ascribe that to. I have no inside knowledge, but that is another one that at certain times, maybe even during the time he's now claiming he wasn't fighting that they were trying to make. And, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't come together for one reason or another. Uh, Harold. Yes. I mean, you offer him the Spence fight. That's a huge fight. I mean, what fan out there listening in or otherwise doesn't want to see that fight? I mean, that's one of the biggest fights you could make in boxing right now. Yes, it's our Leonard uh, uh, Hearns uh, of our uh, existence right now. And um, hopefully they'll put that together for us. Uh, Maybe this whole thing will will cause uh, the other promoters and everyone else involved to lower that that stance that they have of, of exclusion and we can get this fight, you know. So um that will be a great fight. Uh I imagine the the run up will be spectacular. I expect him to go to five, six different cities. Uh, I expect him to go overseas to promote this. I expect a huge 
oh uh, run up and run out for this fight, which will be a worldwide uh, situation. So that's just, it has to happen. It has to happen. And, and maybe this is a catalyst to, 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 to make that, to make that go forward. Right. No, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it, in line 91 of the complaint, um, Paul, it says top rank made these representations negligently and without exercising reasonable care or competence in communicating the falsity of these representations at the time of right. making such representations and with the express intent to induce Crawford to act to his detriment in reliance upon these representations. Touch on that. Um, uh, that's actually an interesting snippet because when you talk about relying on something to your detriment, uh, that would seem, I feel like you'd have a stronger claim there if you took the Kavlowskis fight thinking he'd get Spence and then Kavalaskis aced him or something. Right. And they, you know, he, here it's, they expected to get past Kavalaskis and just couldn't deliver the, you know, couldn't or didn't or never intended to, depending what comes out to, to deliver the Spence fight for one reason or another. Yeah. I mean, but, but again, I mean, if you say you're going to offer that fight and, and you know that you're, it's not really in your, in your, in your wheelhouse to be able to offer that fight. Um, why would you do that? Well, because of the contract, please go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, assuming good faith from top rank, and I'm just making this hypothetical because I don't know what actually went on. You know, they might be able to say, you know, maybe there was a conversation at some point with Crawford's people and they're like, like how are you going to get Spence? You know, Al Heyman hates your guts. He's like, well, we, we've made it makes dollars. It makes sense. And these are the two biggest names in that division right now. And uh, and I've already made initial inquiries, and I think we could get this done. You know, you can have a conversation as simple as that. You know, but uh, it doesn't follow that at the end of the day. You know, uh, Spence is also arguably Heyman's one of Heyman's biggest money makers if he if he kept him healthy and active. So yeah. So that wouldn't be an easy negotiation either way, even if they're no. best friends and they're not. And purportedly they're not, I don't know anything firsthand, but purportedly they're not. So, so what is this uh, sixth, uh, sixth cause of action in the complaint? It's tortoise uh, breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealings. What is the difference? And what is that particularly? Uh, now what's the fifth one called again? Negligent or yeah. It's basically negligence. Yeah. Let me, let me, oh, no, I think the one before it says just breach. The other one says tortious breach. Exactly. Tortious would suggest a more actively firebombing effort on, on, of Crawford's career by a top rank. That would suggest everything, you know, like Tyson's corner used to say, start throwing punches of bad intentions. That basically is saying top rank is throwing punches of bad intentions there knowingly and intentionally to interfere with his future upside in the sport. Right. Well, and, and again, let's preface this entire thing. Let's just really get into uh, making sure that the listeners know this is a complaint that we're, we're reading a complaint. We're working off the actual complaint. So these are alleged complaints. These are alleged um, breaches. Uh, these have right. not actually been proven in a court of law. So top rank, obviously, and, and the powers that be uh, at the top of this, um, boxing food chain will have to weigh in and, and they'll have to sort through all this stuff. But I mean, you have just an enormity <clears throat> of different complaints and different angles in here that 
Uh, it seems like this thing could go on for a long, long time. It, it could. I mean, uh, and I think I, I, one difference between, say, this one and the Mikey Garcia lawsuit, which is my understanding is the same attorney that's handled both. I think I read that in some of the coverage today. Um, Mikey Garcia was still under contract with top rank and he wound up sitting on the shelf as a result of his right, right, issues. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yes. Gone. He could, he let, he could drag this out as long as he feels like spending money on it at this point. So That's let's true. talk, let's talk. I mean, Harry, you, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were about to say something. What were you going to say? Yeah. I was going to weigh in on the attorney, uh, uh, Mr. Feldman, uh, just to kind of give some background on him. Uh, Paul, I'm sure you're familiar with him, but um, he, he, well, I'll lay it out. He is a winner against uh, uh, Aaron already. Uh, he was able to negotiate the thing with uh, uh, Mikey. Although right. Mikey had to sit, uh, he was able to get that out of done out of court. Now, his clientele is impressive. Uh, Vin Diesel, uh, Julia Roberts, um, Gabrielle Union, mm-hmm. um uh, various of uh, uh, vocal groups, um, and he advises the Paul brothers on matters. So, if the glove doesn't fit, guess who's going to quit? So oh, he's the person <laughs> for the situation, no doubt. So he right. has the Hollywood clout. He has the power. He has the, the you know the wherewithal to really uh, 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 get some things done. The main premise to me is is he's won against. Uh, he's caused Bob to sell out of court previously. So he's going to know exactly, you know, how, with the buttons to push and this, that, and other. But as we both, uh, we all had said, because Crawford did this out of contract to, to Bob, it was the wisest move he could make. It was just very, very shrewd because now he can still fight who he wants to fight, does what he wants to do. Right. As Paul said, if he wants to keep dropping money just to, you know, to go through with it, so be it. But he will not be shelved. You know, he can still uh, have his big fights and he can uh, uh, drag uh, Bob to justice if, if need be. So uh, he's got the right attorney. He's got the he's got the right the, the, the right uh, uh, situation right. Uh, where he can. In my mind, you know, he he can go full steam ahead, and uh, of course, you know, upon winning, all costs for this entire litigation will fall on the loser. Wow. So let, let's talk about that because um, let's talk a little bit about the prayer for relief. That that is the clause that's used in a complaint, right? Uh, Paul, can you talk a little bit about that? Well. Um... As I mentioned, I don't practice Nevada law, and, and, and Harold touched on the fee shifting provision. That is, there's, there's apparently something in Nevada law that triggers that. You know, the prayer for relief, generally speaking, is where you'd put your total damages being sought, and uh, he, he has done that here. He said there was a $10 million number for that. I don't have it in front of me right now, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to put a number in, it's another thing to be able to document it later on. I think they're seeking punitive, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in there as well, given to the actions. Right. That doesn't just summarily come. That takes a lot of uh, different things being established. Um, you know, uh, that's supposed to act as a deterrent. I'm not sure what the deterrent would be here. Um, uh, it, you know, what they're trying to deter. I guess, you know, 
future racial activity by top rank, but you know, Bob Arum is 90 years old by the time this is done. This could be against the heirs of Bob Arum, unfortunately, if it drags out. But, uh, you know, I'm, so, I'm not sure what the lesson would be for punitive purposes versus contractual purposes. But uh, Harold, I see the Cheshire, the Cheshire cat come out in you. If you. I don't know if you guys are, are watching Harold down below, but Harold, you know, <laughs> what were you thinking, Harold? Don't tell me. Well, as he said, the heirs and, you know, Todd DeBuff is his uh, son-in-law. Yes. And um, of course, he's he's uh, you know stationed to to take over the reins uh, once Paul once uh, he retires or uh, he passes on, and he's going to have to shoulder this. But uh, you know, we've all read articles today all over and listened to everything that was possibly available uh, that that he has kind of directed um, uh, Bob on some of this some of these tactics. So he has to uh, face up to some of those things uh, after a while. Of course, you know, as the lawsuit opened up, he's a grumpy old man, this, that, and the other. But you still can't say things, you know, just right. in this culture any further. You can't. That is not a right. pass anymore. The cancer culture is real in our society today. So you have to adhere to that. But uh, That's right. Bob looks good. You look, he's 90, but he may last another 10 years. So he's going to have to stand up to this. So I'm just saying, uh, I, I, I'm looking and going back to my old point that they end it quickly with the settlement out of court. Yeah. But I, yeah. I wonder, I wonder, oh, I'm sorry, Paul, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the interesting thing is if, yeah, I can see this going settlement also, but it'll first, it'll take everybody calming down from this, you know, this explosive, not just the, not just the complaints, obviously there's some explosive allegations in the complaint, but Aram has also come out swinging today, making some pretty explosive allegations about him and claims, but you know, he's seen this all before, I'm sure, but people have to calm down first before they can really talk about settlement on a case of this incendiary, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that if there is, um, if the racial, tones that are expressed in the complaint are remotely true uh, from the standpoint of, of Crawford having experienced that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, a, those are very, those to me, those claims are almost more, um, you know, more hurtful than, you know, any monetary amount that you could have in the complaint whatsoever. Right. Well, still fundamentally, he's trying to put a monetary value on that treatment. Uh, in addition to the more cleaner issues of the breach of contract, you know, there's the issue of he treated me like a second class citizen, seemingly along racial lines, given his right. history of suspect racial comments and actions. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is really I think that's going to be a bigger a bigger issue as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we all know that the boxing, you know, for those of you that are not necessarily in the boxing world, um, while there's racism in every uh, corner of the world, those of us on the boxing breakdown denounce any form of racism whatsoever, oppression uh, of of any kind, anywhere, no matter what the the rationale is, it's just not acceptable. I wanted to make sure that I, that I went on the air to say that. And um, you know, but, but those, those allegations to me seem to be a lot more concerning 
um, because those of us that are in the boxing world and did do get to work alongside these incredibly talented athlete, athletes know that uh, there's just no place for racism in any way uh, in our beautiful, in a beautiful sport of boxing. And while True. it does exist, yep. it, it's, um, it's something that has to be um, rooted out and uh, brought out and really um, shown for what it really is. So and that I might be, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just want to make sure that I that I was able to say that that those of us on the boxing breakdown um, disclaimer. Just, that's right, man. That's not. It just, it just doesn't work that way. It's not cool, and uh, you know, it's it just. Uh, I, I'm just really hopeful that that um, all this stuff can work out. I know that Crawford, um, you know, in the claim in the um, complaint, he's uh, finding the top rank breached its co- contractual duties. And the monies that are owed to Crawford, that's one of the reliefs that they're looking for. Awarding monetary damages in, in an amount to be proven at trial and over the jurisdiction jurisdictional minimum of this court. For punitive damages in an amount to be proven at trial. Awarding interests, interest in an amount according to proof. Awarding Crawford's attorney's fees and costs as special damages uh, pursuant to Sandy Valley Associates and Sky Ranch Estates owner. I don't, I don't know what all that is, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's Nevada case law. Yep. Break that down for us, please, Paul. <laughs> um, so. Just going back through that in my head, um, yeah. they're talking about damages. On the one hand, damages you could document, which would which would more, most readily be the breach of contract damages, right? Uh, and and most re- most readily for there would be the both the two fights that didn't happen, uh, if they, if they don't have a reasonable explanation for why, uh, when it comes down to discovery and, and testimony and documentary evidence, and then the the fact that apparently they never paid the nine hundred thousand dollar we'll call it the Spence tax for this fight not happening <laughs> that was supposedly found its way the into Spence writing in a contract. Tax. Yes, that's that's so, good. That's good. Those will be the easier parts of the job. It's the punitive damages and whether there's cost for attorneys' fees, whatever Nevada requires to establish that, that might prove a little more difficult. Interest if they could establish the breach of the contract. Uh, the interest would theoretically follow from the period of time where you would have gotten paid money for that. Um, and that's essentially what you have here. Yeah. Wow. So where do we go from here? I mean, where, do, where does this end up? What, what happens next? Just, uh, uh, Paul, give us your, your, um, I don't want to well, say legal advice, but just, you know, listening to all of this and, and reading through the complaint, where do you think this is going to end up? Well, as I indicated before, I think once everybody, when I say everybody, I don't mean the public. I mean, when the parties themselves kind of calm down and ease into a litigation, you know, holding pattern, uh, it'll, it'll fundamentally become what does it take to make this right? Now, if this is strictly about, um, you know, fights that didn't happen, you would think, okay, uh, maybe you don't pay the full amounts, but something that for argument's sake would spare us the need to litigate. But there's this another more emotional, visceral, uh, racial component that seeps through it, where that says to me, you know, if Crawford's counsel has 
the mandate, you know, don't just accept anything because by the way, there's this whole issue also. You might be in for a protracted case just because the negotiation could break down over this several years. Apparently a perceived oh, racial wow. based slight by top rank to to, to Crawford. And that and, and that's necessarily I think uh, Harold was making a point. That's not not that that doesn't necessarily go away with the right dollar value. So right. but that's more of a, I'm, I want to drop the hammer on them, you know, because I had to eat this for several years without comment and, and I'm calling in the marker now. So, yeah, so, but, but as far as, uh, as far as uh, Crawford's future in the boxing ring, mm-hmm. uh, I'm wondering if you could speak a little to that. I mean, it's not going to really affect him in the ring, right? No, he's good to go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see this effect. I mean, he, he's, if we believe the top rank is the reason he didn't get big fights, like such as Spence and uh, Thurman or whoever, you know, and now he's fought Porter, then he should go ahead and get those fights now. Um, right. Especially if he lines up with PBC, which I, you know, um, well, yeah, there's no reason that shouldn't happen uh, unless the sides get greedy at that point. So let's touch on that. Harold. Yes. Uh, Paul just mentioned PBC. Yes. What are your thoughts about Crawford ending up at PVC? And well, he, yeah. Well, that's that's a good option for him, but he can always do the Floyd route, the Canelo route, where he says, "Look, I'm gonna sign you one deal. I'm gonna come over there. I'll fight one time. Um, Al Hamlin can make it a birthday party, bring in the pony, and get him to stay. Right. That could that could possibly happen. Or he says, "Okay, you know, I had a good time. You know, this is my birthday party. I'm gonna let." The zone gave me a birthday party next time I fight. Ooh. So everyone's going to have a chance to shoot at him and see if they could, if they could, if they could, uh, you know, uh, get him to stay overnight. So that's what we, that's, that's what we're looking at right now. So I don't know if he has to sign with PBC. I don't think he really has to sign with the zone. I think right. he, just, he takes a, a, a free agent and he just, he's just see what the market can bear. So I, uh, I think it's, I think his situation is positive for him. Paul, I would I would agree. I mean, if he could command the same sort of uh, negotiation position that Canelo, for example, has been using, yeah, why not? Uh, why not have a different date uh, a date night with a different person each time out until he feels like he's home somewhere? If if he ever feels it, otherwise he could just be a free agent. If everybody feels like they're properly compensated on a one off basis, and that's worth the risk, why not? You know. Yeah. Uh, well, the guy's 38 and 38 and 0 with 29 KOs, no losses, no draws. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, destined for the uh, Hall of Fame for sure. Uh, one of the pound for pound best fighters in the world. And uh, we want to see him fight. Yeah, yes, I, we do. I, I think, <laughs> yes, we you do. Know, he's going to, he's going to clean up in the headlines for the foreseeable future. I don't see this going away. I do see Terrence Crawford, uh, you know, getting in the ring and making some big money fights. Um, now that um, this kind of gets opened up like a can of worms, I do yes. think, I do think that, that all the fish are going to start swimming and all the sharks are going to come around and everybody's going to do the, their dances, their water dances. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, the Terrence Crawford whirlpool is going to clean up and bring in the cash. I wonder how this $5 million purse that he'd been, you know, getting roughly $5 million each time with the, with the $50,000 $50, training expense, it comes out to about 5 million, right? So how much, what do you think it's going to be 
Like if you could, Harold, if you could just guess, how much do you think he's going to be worth in his next fight? Well, the public sentiment is going to cause everyone, if I say that word correctly, it's going to cause everyone to galvanize it behind him. Any ticket sales going on sale with his name on it worldwide, they're jumping on it. The media is going to be jumping on it. He'll get a publicist. He'll speak better. Everything's going to change for him after this whole thing is over. He'll be in the forefront, in my opinion, of the public consciousness in boxing and bring us back to where we need to be. As far as his numbers that he's going to garner after this, he could get just, you know, uh, Paul would know more than I would about those numbers on a training camp, as you would also. But I would say, what, uh, 300,000? Uh, something like that. Uh, you know, the, mm. the use of the, of the private planes, the the uh, uh, whatever accommodations needed, the, the whole thing. I just see how that's going to be very positive. So well, um, I think I he'll think, do very well going forward. I think it's his training expenses. For, for us as well, because I think what's going to happen is Paul Haberman is going to get the contract to represent Terrence Crawford. And what's going to happen is we're all going to be on that. Plan Bail me too, up, Harry. Terrence. <laughs> uh, wishful thinking. Anyway, um, no, I, I, I think, um, you know, the fans definitely want to see him. I certainly want to see him. I, I just am, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, pound for pound, one of the best Southpaws to ever enter the squared, uh, uh, arena and and I and I just uh, really have have wanted to see him. I, I think his last fight, um, from, from what I can, I mean, his last fight was eleven twenty twenty one, right? Sean Porter, yeah. the Sean Porter, Porter fight. Yeah. yeah, but what what I mean, prior to that, he fought. I guess he fought one year prior to that, almost to the date. Um, like. I think he fought in November, like November 14th here. Yeah. November 14th. So, you know, I'd like to see him more than one time a year. Well, I think all that's going to change. I, I really think it's all that's going to change after this is all over. Uh, he hears criticism that he doesn't uh, promote himself in the sense he doesn't get out front and all that kind of thing. And I believe he's going to do all those things. He's going to be nurtured and work with, especially if he goes over to PBC in any capacity. Yes, it's a one-off, but you're going to have to adhere to, you know, our usual procedure of promotion, you know, so you're going to have to, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this and do that and do this. And he's, he's going to do so because, you know, the public has an idea. Well, okay, let's see if you can. I mean, if you will participate in the, in the promotion of, you know, your, your event. And I, th- I believe he will do so. And I believe just the discipline that he'll get and he'll use this for the next, you know, three or four or five fights. Cause he only has so many fights left in his career at a top level like this. So he needs to go ahead and apply uh, the mm-hmm. proper promotion. Now he'll have this one. He'll have a Spence. He may have a Spence rematch. He may uh, step down and get one of these other boys to move up. He may, who, who knows where he can go with this, but I see yeah. no more than five. I can't put my finger on them all, but I think he'll be disciplined and I think he's going to have a complete different mode of operation after this whole thing is over. And we're going to be able to see him on a regular. I'm looking at commercials, uh, uh, endorsements. I'm looking at all the things that he's missing. Him right. having. Yeah, if I could say just one thing about that and his marketability. Um, I had the opportunity. I want to say it was around 2014, 2015 to actually interview him uh, at a Boxing Writers Association dinner in, in New York. 
And he just seemed like such a genuinely solid dude, good guy. Um, just natural, you know, quiet but charismatic, and really not the type of guy that has to carry on to sell tickets. But uh, you know, he's shown he could do that more recently, also a little more of a rage or an anger in his more recent you know, years. But uh, just generally good guy, and I think if that could be tapped into, to your point, you should have unlimited you know, potential as far as marketing and anything else uh, for the remainder of his career, and maybe even after, you know, if he decides to do broadcast or, or whatever else. Yeah. So I got a nice, we, we got to get off the air, but I got a nice story about Bob Arum uh, and his history with uh, African-American fighters that reserve uh, uh, people's uh, opinion. But Hagler was a undefeated fighter mm-hmm. and he couldn't get a title fight. And Bob had him. Uh, Tip O'Neill and Ted Kennedy were one was a, a district attorney, the other one was the governor of, of Massachusetts at the time. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, man, he's our constituent. He needs that fight. And Bob was resistant to that fight. And they said, Bob, we will drag you in on a uh, fact-finding on your finances if you don't get him that fight. Right. Oh, wow. And Bob relented and got uh, Hagler to fight with Adam Fermo, his first title. And the rest is history. But Hagler wasn't in line. Hagler didn't have what, at the time, Bob felt was marketable. And he was undefeated. So Bob can be prodded uh, positively. So I saw, I, I was thinking that if Bud did resign with, with Bob, uh, that he would have gotten that, that Spence fight done. But he, he, was, he was gone before that happened. Wow. Yeah. Which is one of the, uh, one of the complaints, <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the actual complaints. So, uh, with that, listen, um, I really do hope uh, the best for top rank and I hope the best for, uh, Terrence Crawford and for all the fighters that are under top ranks banner. Um, I, I think it's been a, a tremendous podcast to really just kind of gloss across some of this stuff and, and talk a little bit about it. And hopefully we were able to get the listeners, you know, the, the, um, the boxers and the managers out there to really kind of hone in on this. If you have any questions or if you have any thoughts, you know, obviously, Hey Paul, how can, how can they um, get in touch with you if they wanted to talk legal? Uh, Certainly. Uh, well, I have an Instagram page called at Pauly Haberman. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is standing eight court. Uh, my, my email, PSH at PaulHabermanLaw.com. My number, if you want me to go that far, 201-564-0590. Happy to speak with any, any and all of you. Oh, now you're gonna get all those robo calls, bro. Oh no, I already do. You're gonna get robo calls. Scam likely. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, listen, man, Paul Haberman, you're you're an amazing attorney. You're a great guy. Uh you're an amazing sport to come on uh and join Harold and I here on the boxing breakdown. Always, uh, always enjoy you guys. Oh, That's man. Why. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome to be with you. It's always mm. awesome to be with you, Harold. And uh, it's great to be with you out there. If you're listening on Apple podcast, 
thank you for being with us. If you're tuning into our newly created YouTube channel, we are super excited that you're with us and we hope that you will share like, uh, and subscribe, hit the notification button. So, you know, when we're going to be on the next time and, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, peace and love. Harold and Paul, I love you guys. I'll see you guys soon. And we'll catch you on the next edition of the Boxing Breakdown. Peace and love. We are out. Fight fans, join host Mark Roxy and special guests as they break down all aspects of the boxing world, including news, business, management, training, promotions, fan reactions, upcoming events, matchups, future boxing stars, title fights, state of the boxing world, and all the stuff you don't see when you watch boxing. This podcast is released each week on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Live streamed on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook Live. It's the Boxing Breakdown, hosted by Mark Roxy.